0: Hello and welcome to the Kingdom Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us. This week, Pastor Harrison is continuing our Kingdom Culture series, and we're in part three. And he's talked about meaning, purpose, and how ultimately God is the one our soul craves. And I want to just give honor to the Word of Jesus today. Uh, Mark chapter fourteen is where we are. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. Uh, It's going to be on the screen as well. If you got a Bible, I want you to highlight some things as we go through this. So I'll, I'll tell you when. While he was in Bethany, speaking to Jesus, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leopard, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why the waste of perfume?" It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor and they rebuked her harshly. I love verse six. Leave her alone. You know, sometimes Jesus just says, leave him alone. Leave him alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing for me. The poor, you'll always have. You never thought Jesus would say that, right? You always have the poor. You can help them whenever you want, but you will not always have me. Verse 8, this is the part that if you don't got your Bible, you can highlight at home. Worship team, when you sit down, highlight this part. It says, she did what she could. She did what she could. She did what she could. She poured, body, she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare my, for me for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has done, this story, will be told in memory of her. I got a title today, and it's, it's a title, but it's also a question. Um, and it's just simply this. What could you do? What could you do? What could you do? Could you just clap your hands for Jesus this morning? You can take a seat. Thank you so much, worship team. What could you do, man? Anyone excited to be here today? Come on, anyone love Jesus in this place? Few people, amazing. Um, so we uh, we're in the midst of a series. I'm going to talk more on in a second, but I want to begin by telling you guys a story. Um, some of you guys have probably heard of a pastor in the U. S. His name is Andy Stanley. Anyone heard of Andy Stanley? Pretty famous preacher, communicator, one of the top communicators alive today. And he pastors a church called North Point Community Church. Not to be confused with like North Point up the road, um, North Point Community Church in the U.S., Andy Stanley. And in a book that he wrote or co-wrote with one of his staff members, um, they recall a story of when the church first started. So when North Point Community Church first started, uh, they met in a conference room in a hotel in uh, the city of Atlanta, Everyone say Atlanta. Atlanta. Just want to make sure you're here today. So uh, in this conference room is the humble beginnings of their church. And outside of that conference room hotel, they had an electronic sign. Now, this is like the early 90s, so this thing was not 4K. This thing was just like the signs they had back then. And so the sign for this hotel would kind of just go in a loop, uh, advertising which... Places, people, performances were happening in the conference room. Uh, But what Andy Stanley did not know is that they had a letter limit for how many letters they could put on the sign. And so when they drove to church for the very first Sunday, kind of to their horror, they drove by and they saw the sign which is passed on the interstate by hundreds of thousands of cars every day. It said, No Point Church. (laughs) No Point Church. And uh, Andy Stanley, who's a great communicator, makes a, obviously made a great point from it um, in an illustration. But um, I thought the story was funny when I read it because I think for a lot of us, um, whether we believe this consciously or subconsciously, when it comes to church, a lot of us have a belief that church has no point. You may not know this, but a lot of people have no clue why they come to church. Even people that come to Church. Their entire lives, they would not know that they attend No Point Church. Because they come, but they do not know why they actually attend. Now, today, I know the saints sitting here are saying, I know why I come to church. but well, why do you come to church? What's the point? They're like, well, Harrison, I know the point. The point is to, I think we come to church to uh, love Jesus. That's, that's why we come to church. No. Loving Jesus is great, and it's a response, but that's not actually primarily why we come to church. It's like, oh, Harrison, I know we come to church to worship. Now, even more so, the goodness of God and the love that flows from our hearts will naturally lead us to worship. But even then, that's not why we come to church. And so, (laughs) amen. (laughs) Come on, shout it out from the rooftops. That's not why we come to church. Those are things that we do at church. We love Jesus. We worship. But truth being, as a follower of God, I should always love Him and my life should continually be in worship. So, as a church, our point is none of those things primarily. And so, what we have been doing over the last number of weeks, what we're going to continue to do, is we are sharing who we are as a church, our DNA, where we're going, and really, what's the point? What's the point? Can I tell you guys the point? Now, if you guys have been here for a few weeks, you already know the point. If you're on our team, you better know the point. (laughs) But we exist to lead people into a relationship with Jesus. That's why we're here. Come on, Lori, clap it louder. We exist to bring, to inspire, and to be a doorway for people to experience Jesus. That's why we're here. You see, the belief that drives us in everything that we do as a church, and what I've been trying to ingrain, and I kind of hammered it home last week, I'm going to continue to hammer it home. I just have this belief that Jesus is what people are looking for. He's what people are looking for. And so the church, our primary purpose is to be a place where those who are looking can find him. And that does not happen when only one person knows what's going on, or a few people it's when everyone that says, hey, this is my church understands why we're here. We are here on mission to lead people to Jesus. Why? Because he's what they're looking for. Now, this belief I have, it was driven home a little bit deeper this last week. If you guys don't know, my basement flooded um, and I have a home office in my basement. It's gone. So now my office is like Starbucks and all those good places. And I don't mind working at those places. Um, I just have this habit sometimes where like I'll accidentally start listening to the conversations of other people. <laughs> I don't eavesdrop. That would be rude. Um, I just unintentionally actively listen. There's <laughs> a big difference. There's <laughs> a big difference. And so I was at a coffee shop, um, same coffee shop, two different times. And I was, again... Actively, unintentionally listening to two conversations. Um, And one of the conversations that really piqued my interest, even though I wasn't listening, was when um, (laughs) the guy, he just said, I feel like my life has no purpose. And of course, that piques my interest. (laughs) Because I was like, I think I know what he's looking for. Um, But I'm just listening. And it's really funny because these two conversations, they both kind of centered around this idea of purpose. And it was two men, older men, And they're really trying to figure out, man, what is the purpose of my life? Where am I going? What's the point? And what's funny as I was listening to these conversations is that both of them came to the same conclusion. Well, the issue of my life must be my job and it must be my spouse. Both conversations. They could not figure out why their life had no purpose. And so what they said is that the issue must be my spouse and the issue must be my job. You see... What I think is, for us as people, we're actually pretty good at recognizing when something's wrong. We know when something's wrong. We know when our lives are not going in the direction that they're supposed to be going. But one of the things that we are not so good at is we know when something's wrong, but we don't always know the solution to the problem. And so knowing something's wrong is only half the battle. Knowing the solution is the other half of the battle. And so I'm listening to these conversations, and because I'm eavesdropping, I'll just say it, I can't say anything. And so I'm just listening across the room, across the table, my heart is kind of breaking because I'm listening to these people speak, and what I want to say is that the direction that you are going is not going to give you what you think you are looking for. You are not looking for a new job. You are not looking for a new spouse. Lord, have mercy. You're not looking for a new spouse. What you're looking for is some purpose. And your life has no meaning because you are not attached to the one that gives it meaning, to the one that gives it purpose. And I wanted to scream across the table, your life will go around in circles until you actually can realize the solution to your problem is nothing external. You see, we kind of have fancy language. We call it the midlife crisis. Like I get to the midpoint of my life and I just, I need a new car. Just, I need, I need something. And like, listen, sometimes you need a new car. Sometimes it's time to upgrade. But for a lot of us, what we do not realize is that we go years and years and years and years, and we have never dived in. We have never dove into our God-given purpose. And I just believe so deeply, if you never, never dive into that which you were created for, the result will always be Emptiness. Now you're saying, Harrison, hold on, hold on. I know Christians that have God-given, that have like midlife crises. I know people that say they love Jesus and their life doesn't appear to be going anywhere. Well, I want you to understand something. The work of Jesus is twofold. Jesus saves us. Amen. Jesus has saved us. He has freed us from the penalty of sin and death. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody. But Christ... And his will for our lives is not simply just to save us. If we only know Jesus as Savior, our life will be in deficit. Because the truth is, God is not saving us from something to nothing. He's saving us from something, calling us to something. And for a lot of us, Christians included, we never get to the something. And so their lives end up purposeless. And it's crazy because I have an amazing job, I'll have an amazing family, I'll have money, I'll have friends, yet why do I feel like something's missing? It's because what you're looking for is not a new job, it's not a new car, it's not a divorce. You're looking for the one in which your soul craves, which is Jesus, and not just him as Savior, but the God that wants to give you purpose. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He puts it like this. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Listen to this. You may not know this, but you weren't actually made for this place. Like the way things are, everything has kind of been marred by death and, and disease and sin. You weren't made for this place. And so what happens is if you look for the solutions and the satisfactions of your heart in this place, you'll always end up in a deficit. You'll always end up seeking and searching. And so C.S. Lewis says, listen, stop searching and start believing that God has something more for you that can't be found in anything in this place. Listen, I am made, you are made. If you do not know this, you are made in the image of God. Everyone from little baby Nathan... To the oldest person in our church, she probably isn't that old because we've got a young church. Come on, somebody. <laughs> we are all made in the image of God. That means that if I'm made in the image of the divine, there are things inside of me that will not be satisfied unless they're connected back to the divine. And so, our last core value, I should kind of mention, I'm just preaching, sorry. We're in a series called Kingdom Culture. And we're, we're diving into our DNA as a church. In week one, we talked about generosity. Week two, we talked about accessibility. This, this week today, this is actually a brand new value for us. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of like our old values, but uh, it's a little bit newer. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm preaching it for the very first time. And kind of everything that I just said there is the heart behind this value. Now, before I get to it, I'm, I'm teasing it. Um, We have a purpose in this series. We've said it every week. We've said that alignment is more important than assignment. And so what we mean by that is if we as a church can get aligned on the mission of Jesus, in other words, if we can all begin to believe that I am a divine image bearer, I'm a son of the king, like if we can get on mission together, we will see miraculous things. And so what we're doing in this series, we're trying to get aligned. Week one was generosity. If you missed it, go watch it. Week two was accessibility. If you missed it, you guessed it. Go watch it, because we're getting aligned. In week three, this is our brand new value. This is our final value in our Kingdom Culture Guide. And we just say it, one word, it's excellence. Excellence. I'll kind of explain it like this. Generosity is our why. Accessibility is our how. And excellence is our heart, the heart in which we want to do things. We want to do things with a heart of excellence. And so my hope today is twofold. I want us to see how this works and aligns with our church, but I also want us to understand how this aligns to your life. Because I believe that God has called our church to be excellent, but I also believe that your life should be mired in excellence. Why? Because you're a child of God. Nothing less, nothing more. So what I want to do is I want to go through the gospel of Mark chapter 14, look at this story, and kind of bring out some stuff that I want to continue to speak into our lives and the DNA of our church. So Mark chapter 14, it says um, Jesus, and I should context real quick, context. Uh, This is Passion Week, meaning this is the last week of Jesus' life. He's about to die soon and very soon, and so this is the last week of his life. Mark 14, verse 3 says it like this. It says, While Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now, I want to kind of set this scene up, then I'll explain why this is such a beautiful moment that's happening here. So um, this story is told in the other Gospels as well, and so it gives us some details. One of the details that we find out is this woman, um, her name is actually Mary. And Mary is the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Some of you guys might have heard of Lazarus. There's a story in the Gospel of John. Lazarus dies, and guess what? Jesus resurrects him. Pretty cool story. Mary, that's her bro. Her bro was resurrected. So keep that in mind, because it says they're at the home of Simon the leper. This is the other important thing. So there's kind of a party going on, and it's at the home of a man named Simon the leper. Now, that means he had leprosy. Now, what you need to understand is that if he currently had leprosy, there would be no party, because it was a very contagious disease, and in that time, you were considered unclean. Like, literally, you had to go around and say, I'm unclean. And so when it says Simon the leper... And the fact that people are there, what it lets us know is that he was not currently a leper, he used to be a leper. Now leprosy at that time had no cure, so what we know is that Jesus had healed him. Everyone following? So I want to set up this picture. at who's at this party? We have Simon the leper, who has been healed by Jesus of leprosy. In other words, the man that was once walking dead has new life. And so there's a par But even more than that, he's not even the coolest guest there because Lazarus is there. And Lazarus has literally been brought back to life. And so this party, you need to understand, this is a resurrection party. Ain't no party like a resurrection party. Come Come on in. And so I can imagine, like, Mary has this moment where she looks around, and she sees all these people, and she's overwhelmed by the goodness of God. You guys ever been overwhelmed by the goodness of Jesus? Uh, Man, we had a moment this week where we were able to go into our new church home with the team, um, and it was just so special. Probably something I'll remember for the rest of my life. Um, And Prince just saw me, and he's just like, Harrison, you look so happy today. Um, And I was like, as opposed to what? Uh, (laughs) But truth was, like, I, I, was, I was just overwhelmed and overcome by the goodness of Jesus because, like, it was just crazy to, like, see, like, the people that, like, our, our family, church family, like, in the place that we're going to one day call home. It was just an overwhelming moment for me. And so I just imagine that, like, Mary in this moment is experiencing that same overwhelm. Just like, man, like, my brother was dead. He's back to life. Th- this dude that no one would want to be around. The party's now at his house. And so Mary does... What one is supposed to do when they're overwhelmed with the goodness of Jesus, she wants to respond. Yeah. She wants to respond. The goodness of God will always lead us to want to respond. Yeah. And so what she does is she pours, it says, this very expensive perfume of pure nard on the head of Jesus. Now, this perfume is expensive. It's like commentators let us know this was most likely for her like a family heirloom. This is something that was passed down from generation to generation, but it was also worth a lot. And so in, in case, like, anything went south, like, this was, like, something that you could sell really quickly and make money. Like, let's say, like, EI, like COVID comes back in those days or EI runs out. Like, she could just sell the perfume and be okay because it, like, it, it was valuable. We learned in a second it was worth a year's wages. I want you to think about that, worth a year's wages. I said one year's wages. Some of you guys are like, I don't even work. (laughs) But she's overwhelmed by the goodness of Jesus. And you need to understand, in this time, it was customary for a guest of honor to anoint them. But what you would do, you'd get a dab of oil or maybe some perfume and you just kind of put it on their head. But Mary has this divine, this prophetic moment where she sees Jesus and she realizes that he's so much more worthy than what we give everyone else. I can't can't give him what I would give everyone else. And so she breaks the jar and pours the whole thing on his head. You see, when it comes to excellence, what does excellence look like? Here's the very first thing we say in our culture. We say it simply like this. We say, Jesus deserves my best. Jesus deserves my best. Why? Because excellence honors God. You see, when it comes to this word excellence, maybe you have a connotation that comes with it and it takes your mind somewhere. Wherever your mind goes, I want you to understand what it means to us here at Kingdom Church. Excellence is not perfection. Excellence is not unattainable. Excellence is simply my best. What is the best that I can give to Jesus? You see, Mary... I, I, I said the whole scene. You guys got the scene, Simon the leper, Lazarus resurrected. It's an amazing thing. But I want you to understand something that maybe you haven't thought of. In that moment, Mary has not seen what you and I have seen. What do I mean by that? Mary had no clue about the death of Jesus at that point. She had no idea about the resurrection of Jesus at that point. She had no clue about the forgiveness of sins at that point. All she had seen is a couple of miracles. And she said, these miracles are not for a worthy of praise. But guess what? We've seen something more. We've seen Jesus, who gave it all for you, gave it all for me. I love what he says in Luke chapter 10, verse 19. We actually sang this today. Maybe you caught it. He says, I have given you all authority to the disciples, he's saying, "um, to trample on snakes and scorpions, to overcome all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. It's Just amazing things you're going to do. But he says, don't rejoice that spirits submit to you. You're going to cast out some things. Even that's not that cool. He says, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. You guys know the song? Yeah. But the miracle that I just can't get over. My name is registered in heaven. Where's Zoe at? <laughs> Leaving us out today. That's why we sing this song, because it's literally the greatest miracle of all. Me, stuck in sin, wretched, <laughs> wicked. I tried my best, still not good enough. Jesus redeemed me, Jesus saved me. I've seen something, I've seen a miracle. so you need to understand something like in this church like I can't speak for everyone I can't speak for everyone but you can you can look at me because I'm gonna declare it Jesus has taken 100 percent of my sin anyone else on the board like anyone else Jesus took your sin a few people and anyone else whose sin has Jesus taken away okay we got we got a ton of people that need to be saved in this place I'm making an appeal for salvation. If you are saved in this place, if Christ is your Savior, how many have 100% of their sin taken away? And it doesn't have to be everyone. That's why we exist. But for those of us that Jesus has taken away our sins, we've experienced a miracle. And so we are actually supposed to respond to the miracle that is salvation. How do we respond? I give Jesus my best. I give him my best. Like Jesus taking 100% of my sin. But a lot of times, I just give them 50% of my best. Like, thank you, Jesus, for 100%. Here's 25. Here's once every four weeks I can show up. I can pray once every quarter. When we understand the miracle of the gift of Jesus, we give our best. Now, some of you are saying, well, Harrison, like, what is my best? Like, what does that mean? Matthew chapter 6 Jesus says, store up treasures, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is the part I want us to see. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So I want to break this down because you're like, Harrison, what's my best? How do I know what my best is? It's pretty simple. Wherever your heart goes, like, come on, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, whatever wakes you up in the morning. Because a lot of times we take this to mean money. And, like, this is going to sound crazy, but there's actually people in this church that, like, when you give money, it's not a big deal. Some of you guys are like, who's that? <laughs> like, some of you guys have the spiritual gift of, of giving. And so a lot of times, like, we just take this to mean money. And so, like, God just wants my best, and so I'm going to give him an offering or a tithe. And that stuff's amazing, and it's honoring. But, like, if you have the spiritual gift of giving, that might not actually be your best. You guys following? Yeah, yeah. Now, if you're, like, an entrepreneur, business person, like, I can, I can probably guess where your heart's tied. And so for you, sometimes your best really is money. But, but for a lot of us, come on, like, where are my creative people at? Now, I'm not saying creative people don't have money. <laughs> 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 but, like, for creative people, you know where your heart goes. What really drives you is not money. What drives you is your art. It's, it's your music. It's, it's what you create. It's, it's, the, it's the very divine thing that God has given you the ability to do. And, and for that person, you may give monetarily, faithfully. You may even volunteer stacking chairs faithfully. But you're not actually giving Jesus your best. Because your best is where your treasures. Lie, is where your heart is. You see, this might be hard to, to hear, but for a lot of us, we give our best to every other area of our life except for Jesus. I give my best to my clients, I give my best to my friends, I give my best to my family, and that's, I like, guess, that sounds kind of good. Like I'm paid to give it to people, I, I need to give to my family, I need to give to my friends. But a lot of times we just give, give, give and we have nothing left for Jesus. But I just have this belief that one of the ways that we actually, because you need to understand that the miracle of salvation was costly. It cost Jesus something. It cost him everything. It cost him his life. But the truth is, it cost us nothing. Come on, somebody. It cost us nothing. And so what happens is that until we understand the weightiness of the sacrifice of Jesus, the gift is always something we can take for granted. And it's like, well, Harrison, if, if salvation is a free gift, like how do I then begin to take that and make it costly for me? Super simple. Give Jesus what he's worthy of. I love 2 Samuel 24. This is David. And someone offers to to make a sacrifice for him, to give him the thing. And David says this. I love this. You can write this down, tattoo it in your heart. David says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God something that costs me nothing. I'm not going to give God something that costs me nothing. Listen to this. Some of you guys, you can shred the guitar with your eyes closed. It's not your best. It's not your best. Some of us in this room, you can draw a picture in three seconds that looks realistic. That's still not your best. So David says, I will not give God something that cost me nothing. Listen, grace is free, salvation is free, but our response must be costly. And I just I promise you this when you begin to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, it will cost you something. And the truth is this: the moment it costs you something is the moment that you grow closer to Jesus than ever. It's weird how that works. It's weird how when it begins to cost you something, it's actually weird how the very first time you step out to Jesus and someone hurts you. That brings you closer to him. Why? Because we now partake in his suffering. That's kind of what he says. Partake in my suffering. Carry your cross. When I give my best up here, and I try every week to give my best, sometimes I give my best. You guys, this might be crazy, and not everyone likes it. And sometimes people say things, sometimes they're hurtful things. But in those moments, I actually grow closer to Jesus because I realize it cost me something. It cost me something. You see, I talked at the start with this midlife crisis culture. I think what the midlife crisis is is quite simple. I've lived a whole life where it cost me nothing. I've made no significant sacrifice for Jesus. I know so many people that can talk about the sacrifices they made for their job. You would not believe the career switch I made. Had to mortgage the house. But we've never made a significant jump for Jesus where it cost us something, where there was something that just didn't make sense. Have we ever truly suffered for our faith? You see, why I love this this word excellence is because when I commit myself to excellence, I'm committing to give Jesus my best each and every time. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to always get it right, but I'm going to give him my best. I'm going to give him my best. Mary gives Jesus her best, and it says, verse 4, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. I want you to understand this one. When you give your best, don't always expect a reward. Don't expect people to get it. Listen, when you give it all to Jesus, why would they get it? If someone who is not following Jesus finds out how much you're giving to Jesus, why would they get it? You're telling me you spend four nights a week with church people? Are you out of your mind? So here's the thing as a follower of Jesus, I don't look to everyone else for permission. When God calls me to something, I don't need your permission, I need Christy's permission. But when God puts something on my spirit, I am faithful and obedient to him. And I should not expect everyone to get it. In this, in this time, I don't know if you guys have like filled up a car lately when gas is really expensive. And you tell people, I give 10% of my income to the Lord. Don't expect them to get it. I gave the biggest offering of my life to the Lord. Now? I'm not looking for permission. Because I just give my best to Jesus. I just give my best to Jesus. And then we have Jesus, the defender. Verse 6, he says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. Can I tell you something, especially for those of us in this place? Maybe you're the only Christian in your sphere, and no one gets it. Maybe you're stepping out. Maybe you're giving. Maybe you're serving, and no one around you gets it. In fact, all you're getting is rebukes and critics and criticism. Guess what? No one may say it, but Jesus is saying it. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. Listen, I don't need anyone to get it. If Jesus gets it, I'm good. That's all that matters. And so I'm going to give him my best. You see, and here's the point I don't want us to miss and why it's kind of the last thing when it comes to our culture is that if you don't understand what Jesus has done for you, if you don't understand you have a seat at the table, if you don't understand that he's given it all, the response doesn't make sense. The response is predicated on us understanding the goodness of who God is. And so as we go through this and the culture of our church, and if you just feel like, man, I can't actually give Jesus my best, the solution isn't to try harder. The solution is to say, Jesus, I need to understand you deeper because I won't need to prod it out. That's religion. Religion prods it out and says, this is what you must do. This is the X, this is the Y, this is the Z. You see, when Mary gives, no one tells her what to give. It's a heart response. She said, I I know what my best is. And here, Jesus, you take it. You take it. And so the Lord says, leave her alone. And he says, the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. And that's the line I love. She did what she could. Can I tell you, church, all God ever asks is to give what you can. What could you do? Come on, right now in this place, Holy Spirit, speak to us. What could I do? Where have I been holding back? Where are the places and the things and the people and the places that I've been giving my best to, but I've been giving Jesus the leftovers? What could you do? What could you do? And I love what he says in verse 9. He says, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. You can't miss this part. This part is crazy. The death of Jesus and the resurrection, that's the gospel, the good news. Jesus is restoring everything. He's restoring everything. That's what our hope is built on. Right, you and I are created in his image. God's restoring that. But what it says is that Jesus' work, the gospel, from here on out will never be separated from this story of Mary. That's a crazy thought. He says wherever the gospel is preached, this story's a part of it. It's a part of it. You see, part of the gospel picture always includes our response that's a part of the message if you're saying how come my life like i'm really trying to reach people for jesus why isn't it going so far because maybe you're only living half the message there's the message of the cross and then there's our life which is the response because that's what actually gets people's attention is a life that is on fire for the lord the famous preacher, he says, light yourself on fire. People will come from miles around to watch you burn. It's just going to happen. Wherever the gospel is told. It wasn't, And it wasn't a crazy thing. It wasn't a humongous thing. It was, it was a bottle of perfume. But it's connected to the gospel forever. And so here's the second thing that we say in our culture when it comes to excellence. We say it like this. We say, it's the small things. Little things make big things happen. It's the small things. You see, I believe big, but I act small. I'm, I'm going to say it again. You, you want to get somewhere in life, believe big, but you got to act small. Because it, it's, not, it's not a thousand big decisions that, that determine the course of my life, but it's actually a thousand small decisions. You see, when we think excellence, we think bigger, better, more, flashier. Excellence in the world, and the culture, and the language of Jesus is simply this. It's faithfulness. It's faithfulness. Just be faithful. That's it. If, be, if you are faithful in the little things, God will do more and exceedingly abundant things than we can ever think, dream, or imagine. And suddenly our small things become big things. So come on, church. Like what's, what, what's the small thing that you can do today? That's excellent. What's the one place that you can give Jesus everything? Come on, think small. Let's not think big. Like, ah, like, where am I going to preach? Like, what's what's the huge? What about Instagram? Listen, some of you guys, you give your best to Instagram. Too much to Instagram. But, like, what if the place where everyone knows what you feel on certain things, but have no clue what you think about Jesus... What if that place became the medium to say, you know what, I'm just going to be faithful in this one small thing and see what God does. We, we have so many testimonies of just the young people in our church and I've been privileged to hear. They've just said things like, man, like, I just felt like God called me to like, ask a question on my story. Like, how can I pray for you? And like 20 people just like, responded. Yeah. It was like, I need prayer for this. I need prayer for this. You see, a lot of times we're loud online, but how often are we quiet and just saying, I'd love to listen. Like, hey, can I listen to you today? Because everyone wants to be heard, but I want, I want to listen. It's, it's a really small thing, but like it's the small things that make the biggest difference. What's crazy is like when you invite someone to church, listen to this, it's the smallest act in the world. But when someone comes here and finds hope and healing in Jesus, guess what happens? For the rest of their lives, your name is attached to their story. Come on, you guys know that person in your life? They invited you to church. You might not even be close to them anymore, but their name is attached to your story forever. Why? Because it's it's the small things. It's the small things. Come on, church lobby after church. You guys know that place we're all gonna head to after. You can talk to someone you don't know. It's the small things. Someone say small things. Small things. Because listen, your best. <laughs> I'm just going to say, your best is not running to your car and getting out of here as fast as you possibly can. And, and maybe you have plans. Maybe you legitimately have plans. But maybe next week, it's like, you know what, I don't have plans until one, because after I'm going to give Jesus my best. And I'm going to be open and available, because maybe I've gone through something that someone needs to hear. Or maybe, come on, maybe it's, it's time to stop being loud and it's time to start listening. Just saying, hey, who can I ask a question today? Who looks down? Who looks depressed? Who looks hurt? We heard a story this week in a video that we watched, um, just some of us. And he was telling a story about how someone had a great loss in their life. Um, and they served at church. The church had multiple services. Um, and so this person was at church for six hours straight. And at the sixth hour, the pastor came to her and just said, hey, how are you doing? And she said, pastor, I'm so glad that you asked me because I've been here for six hours. And not a single person asked how I was doing. Listen, we can walk into this place so one-focused. I'm here to worship Jesus. Hope the set is fired today. Hope the preacher finishes on time today. Not today. (laughs) That we can realize, man, our life is on mission. It's the small things. Listen, this whole series, I'm telling you, uh, us in this room, in like three, four years, you're not going to believe what God has done in this place. You're not going to believe it. You're going to look around and be like, man, remember what it used to be? But it's not not going to be because we did big things. It's not because of grand vision. Mm -hmm. It's just small and dedicated, faithful tasks. Because little things make big things happen. Mm -hmm. It's one little pour of some perfume. It's one invitation. It's one Instagram story. It's one hello. It's one how are you doing. It's one lingering a little bit longer could change someone forever so the last thing when it comes to excellence this is our last one we say it like this here's our last value and I'll share a verse in a second but we say change is how we go further faster what worked then may not work now now listen I haven't spoken a whole lot to my to my unchurched people who are here today if you're just kind of like just starting to get into this whole church thing guess what no pressure you can show up and leave you have my permission like your first time here, you can just run out if you want. But like church people, like you've been doing this for a while, people on our church, you know those of you guys, remember my basement, a couple of you guys? Hey, what worked then doesn't work now. No, 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 your demeanor then doesn't work now. People that came here one of the church, remember you guys here? What worked then doesn't work now. People that came six months ago, what worked then doesn't work now. You've been in church your entire life, but you've never experienced the purpose. You've ne- you're, you're feeling empty. I need something. Harrison, I need a new job. What do I need? You need to step into that in which you were created for, which is to connect the divine with everything in our lives. We are not compartmentalized beings, but the truth is this. So many of us compartmentalize our lives, not even so much in secular spiritual, but more so in what do I give my efforts to? And for a lot of us, Jesus gets the very scraps. And what's funny is that when you first enter into this thing, pure devotion in four years doesn't look like pure devotion. It just doesn't. What I did five years ago doesn't look like devotion to Jesus anymore. When I first began to preach and to speak, man, that was just pure devotion. Just use me, Jesus. Jesus. When I speak 50 times a year, it's no longer my best because I've I've done it so many times. And so God is saying, hey, what's the new thing that I'm going to call you to give? What's the new area? Well, what really makes you uncomfortable? What makes me uncomfortable isn't to be on the mic. It's to be on the floor, to talk to people. That's what I don't like. But that's what God calls because it's just like, hey, just give your best. It's, It's the small things. It's the little things. Change is how we go further faster. Paul says it like this, Philippians chapter 3. Sid, cut up here and give me some keys, please. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. Speaking about where we're going, God's plan, salvation, everyone in this room, no matter how far you are spiritually, guess what? You haven't achieved it yet. You're not there yet. I'm a mature Christian. You're not there yet. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead can I tell you something man I'm so thankful for how God has used so many people in this room to do amazing and mighty things we would not be here without you I can just look across this place and just things are flooding my mind I know the sacrifices some of you have made I know what some of you have given I know how some of you guys showed up week after week after week but guess what starting today I forget the past it's done there's someone new coming next week There's someone new in your life that needs hope, that needs purpose, that needs your best. So I forget what's behind me and I look forward to what is ahead. And I ask myself a simple question. Not even what could I do, but what could God do through me? What could God do through me? Someone that is sold out for him, fully, wholly, devoted for him. You wanna know what I think he could do? I think we could change the world. I don't just say that. I think we could change the word. I think we could change St. Albert. We're not here for no reason. I believed it when we started this church that this place will be forever changed. But we're just in our infancy. We're just learning to, to walk, learning to crawl. This is who we are, though. This is kingdom culture. Now listen, if you've been here for this whole series and you have not yet joined our team, you've not yet gone through growth track, guess what? Next week, growth track starts. Now's your time. Get off the fence. Get off the fence and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to give my best. I'm going to give my best. Here's an, I, I don't know what it is yet. Perfect. Come to Girl Track. We'll figure it out together. And if you can't come next week, guess what? We run it every single week. It never ends. It's like God's goodness. It never ends. It's always going. For those of us on our team that have been here for a long time, the question I want to ask you is this. Is what am I not doing now that I'm going to start doing? What is this small act? For some of us, you're gonna to begin to give financially. You've never given. It scares the heck out of you. You've said to yourself, I'm gonna do it when I'm a little more secure, when it makes a little more sense. Jesus just says, Give the first. Do what you can, but do it first, not when it makes sense. That's gonna be some of us. For some of us, it's gonna be man, like my gift, my talent, my ability, I've made money off of it. I've done amazing things. I've built my brand, my portfolio. But guess what? I'm going to lay that down. I'm going to give Jesus my best first. You're like, what, what do I do? Well, just come talk to us. Right? Come join a team. We have so many amazing teams that are doing amazing things. You have plans. You have visions. You see things I cannot see. I am not the all-seeing eye. I can only do what God's called me to do. But what's God called all of us to do together as a team? We're going to change the world. In this room, I want want us to believe it. That's a big belief, but it starts small. It starts small. Let's just stand up, church. I want to pray. Jesus, for every person in this place, every heart in this place, God, I pray that you just speak to us now, Jesus, and just tell us what it is that we ought to give. God, we want that fresh wind. So speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts right now, Jesus. The area, the thing that we've been holding on tightly to our time, our talent, our treasure. Let's just surrender right now, church. If there's something in this place you feel like you've been holding on to, you want to release it to the Lord right now. Can you just raise your hand? Let's just, I just want to give us a time to release. You're saying, God, I just want to give this to you. And the first act is the act of surrender. It's an open hand. So, God, that gift, that talent, that treasure, whatever it is, Jesus, we've been holding back. I pray, God, that you take it and that you do more with it than we ever could. Jesus, I just pray that that culture of excellence just permeates this place, Jesus when we come into this place, when we walk into this place, our best is available and ready to go. I just thank you for what you're doing. I just thank you so much for the cross in which everything flows from. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your mighty, holy, awesome, perfect name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message. We hope it blessed you and that you're encouraged and inspired. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or want more information about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca and we would love to connect with you. Be blessed as you continue your week.